John, you and I are going to uh, use the opportunity now to reminisce about a trip that we made back, I think, in 1991. Um, and our, our senior producer, John Harrison, sent the two of us, clearly didn't know <laughs> what he was letting himself in for, sent the two of us out to um, Arctic Canada to make some wildlife programs for the Natural History Program on Radio 4. And I, I don't know what your first memory is, but I do remember us getting the small plane um, from some big international airport to fly out to a place called Fort Smith, which is on the um, Arctic Circle. And I think that the um, the snow had just melted, hadn't it? Yes, it was. I think it was just late March. Um, and I think that airport was Edmonton that we flew from Edmonton to Fort Smith. Um, I think it's a milk run that ends up in uh, Yellowknife. And anyway, it's, um, yeah, as you say, just in the Arctic Circle in Canada. And uh, it's an amazing place. And we were met at the airport, I think it was late in the evening, by someone very special. Yes, his name was Jacques Van Pelt. And he appeared with the, the beaver skin hat. Or was it a raccoon hat? He had a raccoon tail. Well, what, what's your yeah. memory of that first meeting? Yeah, I think it was a raccoon tail, yeah, yeah. It was the classic, you know, uh, what's it called, um, Crockett-type hat. Yeah. Yes. And he looked at the two of us, you know, white-skinned. Uh, uh, I was probably slightly flabby, uh, uh, hadn't exercised very much, and we were meeting this man who literally lived in the wilds and, and took people uh, into the wilds on, you know, walking trips of three and five days. I, I, I imagine his first impressions of us were, were Probably not good. Uh, well, he was very jolly, and I'm sure he'd seen worse, you know. Um, <laughs> but he was also pleased to be able to show us uh, his world, and uh, that's what he proceeded to do over the next few days, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I, we went into – can you remember the name of the, the National Park? Was it the something Wood National yes, Park? Yes, I know exactly what it was. It's Wood Buffalo National Park. You can see it on right. the map. It's, it's a big area. Uh, people might know Yellowknife. I think we're talking about – are we about 1,000 miles north of Edmonton? We're basically um, on the – as the, as you look on the map, on the uh, in the middle left-hand side of Canada, uh, which yeah. is near slightly nearer the west coast. Um, and um, – yeah, so in the middle so after of nowhere. Our first, so after our first overnight, we drove out more or less into the wilderness. And I, I remember us starting fairly high up above some uh, forest. And we started recording almost immediately, John. And so my very first memory is of starting to walk down the track and doing an introduction piece with Jacques and I walking along um, and and describing what it is we were going to do. Because essentially we were, we were trying to find... Um, wild buffalo uh, but uh, at one stage as we're walking i feel a sharp pain on the back of my heel um and it is either you or jacques trying to get me to shut up because standing in front of us was you describe it well uh this is a few days down the line you see this is where our memories um uh, there was there was some black bear weren't there but i yes i uh, just before that i remember after jack took us out of the airport and then we were so excited and it was it was getting dark but we had to go and have a look and we went and we saw some um i think it was bison poo buffalo poo um and i think you were very excited about it and i uh <laughs> i was thinking to myself god I must be sweating a lot. And I put my hand to the back of my head and I pulled my hand and my hand was red. The whole of my hand was red. It was blood. 
uh, had been bitten to death by thousands of mosquitoes and very naively had gone out without any repellent on or anything. Protection. Yes, yeah. I, I, actually, you're right. I do remember that. Were they not called black fly? Um, and they, I think they had just had, maybe it was mosquitoes and black fly. Yeah, like they were things called nose, they call them no seams, don't they? Because they didn't, they didn't, they're so small. But I think because the snow had just melted, um, they were there in their millions. Yeah, we were the first meal of the year. <laughs> yes, I also seem to remember that one of the things that they really wanted to do was they wanted to drink water. So they would land on your eyelid and drink the juice from your eye. I mean, there would be hundreds there. And even even though we had, um, there were like Australian cork hats um, with nets impregnated with an insect repellent, they still got yeah, under yeah. and and they, they still uh, dra drank from us. Yeah, Jack gave us some uh, bug jackets, uh, which were sort of green uh, camouflage. Well, people know what bug jackets are in that area. but yes. um, And then they're impregnated with uh, DEET, which is the uh, very strong um, anti-repellent, uh, anti-mosquito. Anyway, back to my story that I had beautifully set up, and then you <laughs> wanted to talk about the back of it now. Right, okay. The next day... <laughs> <laughs> well, there we were walking down the track, and I was recording, and... Um, uh, essentially, somebody dug me in the back of the heel because, of course, this is literally you couldn't see the wood for the trees. I am so concentrated on looking around and talking and checking my levels that an enormous female black bear um, was standing not too far from us, and she had three cubs. And in fact, when I stopped talking and looked up, the three the three little cubs had stood up on their hand legs, so they're like three little teddy bears. Um, and of course, that was an exceptionally dangerous moment because we are walking towards a black bear with three cubs. Yeah. And I think Jack had just said you can get out of the truck. And we were looking at them, um, as you say. And I can remember the mother looking at us and she was kind of short sighted. And I, she was just smelling, as a lot of animals do. Um, she was smelling us. And Jack said she could smell the fuel in the tank of the van. She looked around. She she must have said something to her three cubs, which were behind her. And then she took a move off the track through the trees around us. And uh, it wasn't a magical moment. It was. Well, actually, before she did that, John, she, she, she signaled to them somehow. And they started to scamper up the tree. And anyway, we stood our ground for a while and then, and then backed off. Um, but that was really, uh, apart from... The, the blood-sucking insects. It was the the first sight that we had of, I mean, imagine walking down a track and bumping into a black bear. It's it's just, it's one of the privileges of being, um, having the, 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 the life, the professional lives that we've had, John, that we, you would go out somewhere like that and you're looking for animals and then the next thing there, there they are standing in front of you. Yeah, you know, I remember Jack saying to us quite clearly because he didn't want to raise our hopes you know, you might see nothing in the next few days. No, you might be lucky, but you might see nothing. And after he said that, like everything came out of the woods and we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my next memory uh, uh, that I'm, I'm going to move to is we came down through those woods and there was a very definite change in habitat. And we came out on to, I think they were called salt plains. Uh, which was like walking through porridge. In fact, at the end, I gave up and took my boots off and for quite a while walked almost on my bare feet across this sand, which was which was very soft and not easy to walk through. Uh, 
And we were de describing what we were looking for. And of course, this was one of the places where there was a natural population of, of bison or buffalo, as they call them, um, out there. And despite us walking for miles and miles, and I think a day or two, John, um, we didn't see any we didn't see any buffalo. No, we didn't. Well, we did see you talking about the sand there, and you're absolutely right. Uh, what I remember is that these um, salt lakes, they're dried up salt lakes as far as I know, um, quite extraordinary. They're, they're completely white. They're like porridge, I seem to remember us describing them. And it yes. was like walking. walking. It, was, it was tougher than porridge, porridge with a thick skin because it didn't sink into it, but very uh, white and reflective. And occasionally where the salt presumably had gone and there was some earth, the um, the trees would grow. So they'd be like little islands. Um, and, and this went on for miles to the horizon. You could see these, you know, it was like some sort of strange sea with whiteness and then these islands of vegetation. Yes. And it took us a, a day or two days to to traverse this uh, landscape. Um, I also, I think it was the time of the year where there was very little darkness and a lot of daylight. Was that your memory? Yes. Uh, well, it was getting lighter. I guess it was coming into early spring. And uh, I remember there being sandhill cranes, which are beautiful, uh, tall birds. And you could see them in the distance with their red bills and uh, making a wonderful sort of mysterious call over these really quite barren plains. And at one stage, when we got to almost to the end of our journey, having found no bison and not having seen any really more spectacular wildlife, uh, uh, Jacques brought us to a site which was a previous campsite that he keeps, but then he erected a teepee, uh, built a fire, and I think we're having one of his snacks. That's the other thing. Do you remember the way he fed us? I seem to remember it was on raisins and peanuts and very, and very little else. We were absolutely, <laughs> absolutely starving. Well, but, you know, uh, probably the healthiest we've been for a while. But, probably uh, the know, healthiest, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, you yeah, but so we went in to uh, lie down and try and get some sleep. And, and I have a very vivid memory of you coming in and saying, uh, quickly, come out. And, and there, was, uh, there was a noise like thunderclaps in the distance. Yeah, that was probably one of the most extraordinary moments of my, um, my whole uh, wildlife broadcasting where um so jack as you say had, had taken up up this the bits and pieces he needed for the wigwam which he'd put in a bush the previous year and uh so we were distracted by doing that and then suddenly this thunderclap the only thing i've heard that's like it is ever if you've ever been to a race course and you've been near the um the edge of the track when the horses come past and if there's yes. if it's a big, big race with 30 horses it's really thunderous as you say and uh and do you know what it was? It was 400 bison, 400. Yeah. I didn't count them all, but there are a lot of bison. And they, because it was a salt pan, you could see them all quite clearly. And they were running. Yes, it was incredible. I mean, having, having walked for a couple of days and seen nothing, suddenly on the horizon, we could see a large group, a herd of bison, as you say, hundreds of them. And they were running towards us. And I, I was able to do a commentary, much like a football uh, commentator, because the bison would run and stop. Uh, and and it became clear, I think you spotted, that they were being chased by a pack of wolves. And, of course, the wolves were trying to get at one of the calves 
the adults would occasionally turn around to make sure that the casts were in the middle and then they would they would run towards us again. And I was able to commentate as they came from the, the journey that had taken us days took them about 20 minutes as they hurtled across uh, the, the plains towards us being chased by the wolf. Yes, that was extraordinary. And I, I was very impressed how quickly you got onto that. And, and uh, I almost wish we could play that little bit of recording. Maybe I can find it. But anyway, um, so uh, exactly that was happening. There was about seven wolves behind this uh, herd of 400 stampeding bison. But they um, they went, uh, actually, are we going to call it buffalo or bison? Let's call them buffalo. Um, what do the Americans call them? I think they either or really. Yes. Anyway, um, well, they call it Wood Buffalo National Park, so that must be yes. Buffalo. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so Wood Buffalo, but uh, these um, animals were defending their calves, and I'd read about this, and the, and they they the adults circle the calves uh, to keep the wolves away from them because the wolves aren't going for the adults because they're too big, but they are going for their calves. And so the whole herd is coordinated to try and stop the wolves. And we, we you know, we were seeing this. It was like watching a, a film, you know. It would be the equivalent to, of seeing a, a great white shark eat a seal or something like that, you know. And, and it was right there in front of us. And one of the beauties of radio, because it was happening in front of us and we were both able to describe what was going on, and there was a beginning, a middle, and an end because they appeared on the horizon. They ran towards us. They stopped occasionally because they were being uh, preyed upon by the wolves. And then they disappeared almost stage right and out of the, the salt plains to our right and, and back into the, the forest again. Yeah, it was really extraordinary. Um, and that behavior, I was uh, a few years later, I was in a place called um, Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump, which is south of Calgary. And there was a story there about how the uh, indigenous tribes chased the buffalo over the edge of the cliff um, to kill them and, and eat them, obviously. But uh, they did that by dressing up in wolf costumes. And um, they also had some poor fella in a calf costume. And the uh, so what they did is they, they found a herd of buffalo and they um, then got the wolf costumes on and they chased it. So had some guy, presumably the fastest of them, running ahead uh, in the calf costume. And then the, the buffalo then circled around him and uh, they all went towards the cliff and then they'd fall over the edge of the cliff. And the reason that it's called Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump is because the um, head of the tribe, the chief, wanted to have a look at what it was like from the bottom of the cliff. Uh, and he did. He, he got a he got a good look. They all fell got on a top good of eyeful of it. Yeah, our, I think ours all got away. I don't think the wolf got any calf. And then and then I have the most wonderful memory of after the the excitement, adrenaline rush, and exhaustion of of that experience. Uh, Jacques Van Pelt, I love that name, brought us over to a little stream nearby, and there was a a, a branch over it with a cord into it, and he said, "Pull that up." And on the end of the rope, John was. Well, there was uh, six bottles of Labatt's uh, lager, which is a <laughs> local lager in uh, Canada, and it was very famous. But uh, Jack had put it there the year before in preparation for just such a thing, and that was quite extraordinary. The fact that he could find it again, one thing, and the fact that he'd had a foresight to, because uh, he probably knew that our. our um, uh, stamina was flagging <laughs> to put the beer. And was there was there was there ever uh, a nicer beer to be drunk? 
it was wonderful actually cooled by the uh, melting water of a canadian uh, mountain range i do recall also then john um on that same trip with Jacques, uh, slightly better sleeping accommodation. In fact, luxurious compared to the uh, the, the TP that we were in. Us coming down onto the shores of a lake uh, and uh, uncovering a true uh, lakeshore mountain cabin, uh, log cabin, and going in and and proper beds and a little wood-burning stove which Jacques had uh, lit pretty quickly and you warm up and you sit on the side of that lake at night and you hear the most glorious call of uh, one of one of my favorite bird calls of the loon it's the great northern diver yes it's wonderful i think we went out on the lake in canoes and um they do call to each other i think they're paired up and and uh, when they uh, lose each other they call particularly um and i remember our canoe might have got in between them and they then started calling uh, huge amounts, wonderful, uh, evocative call. We should probably try and play some of that in. Yes, I've got calls like that. I I can have got copyright-free loon calls. remember us also in uh, entering uh, an enclosure um it was in a, a scientific establishment and the yes. scientists were studying the behavior of wolves well i do but that wasn't that same trip just to finish this bit off i also remember yes. i wanted to see a beaver in the wild i'd never actually done it you know there's some things as, as a child that you you know see a lot about zebras in africa and and uh, beavers in canada and i'd never really seen one and um, Jack introduced me to it first time. We went over this rise and there was a pond and Jack knew they would be there. And I could see nothing except a twig being moved mysteriously from underwater and, and breaking the surface. This twig sort of moved by itself from one side to the other. And Jack ah, said, yes. there's, a, there's a beaver under that. I remember I remember actually now you're, you're jogging my memory as we, as we came close to that. There were, uh, it looked like very acutely sharpened pencils, which were the, the stumps of trees that had been chewed to a point, um, sticking up, you know, maybe uh, six to eight inches out of the out of the ground where, where the beavers come and they chew the trees down and then they bring the branches in to, in to make their dam. And uh, you can see these. In fact, I'm, I'm nearly sure I took lots of photographs, arty photographs from above of the, the chewed beaver stumps. Um, and then to come across the beaver dam, it was another one of those very special moments. Yes, it was. I think we must have been there for about four or five days in the, in total in that part near Fort Smith. Um, do you know, one thing, it's almost like a confession folks I have to make, is that you at one stage, I think it was on the plane when we came in, said to me, so have you thought of everything, John? So I was like, well, yeah, as far, as far as I know. Have you thought that I need insulin? <laughs> 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 And, you know, uh, God, I thought, geez, I haven't really thought this through at all, have I? I mean, how is he going to survive out there? And you'd taken your, because you need insulin, you'd taken your yes. supplies 
yes. uh, with you, and I felt bad about that. Uh, well, but, I was um, teased. I'm sure I was teasing you, John. I never go anywhere without my insulin. I have, of course, been a diabetic now for nearly 50 years. Um, uh, but but at that stage, I didn't, you know, it wasn't something that I talked about a lot. And, and it didn't, it didn't, I didn't plan for it really well. I hadn't planned that we, we would be walking for three or four days in the wilderness. Um, uh, and, and of course, as a diabetic type one, you have to take insulin and you have to balance it with glucose and balance the exercise. But I'm delighted to say I didn't have any hypos along the way. And it was the most amazing trip. I would never have willingly uh, uh, teased you about bringing my insulin, John. Uh, although I think we could have done with a few more licorice all sorts. I seem to remember we lived on a diet <laughs> of licorice all sorts. <laughs> well, that's right. But I did have a bit of a nightmare thinking, oh, God, what happens if his um, his files uh, get lost or smashed? You know, because we were like, we were genuinely probably at some stages two days walk from anyway, you know. Yes. And uh, I, I have uh, uh, kids, as you do, John, my grown up children, mine are grown up now, and, and they cannot imagine uh, an era. I mean, I was telling them this story quite recently, and they said, Couldn't you just phone somebody? So, because they think that mobile phones always existed. This was very much pre mobile phone. You know, if you if something happened to us out there, if we'd been attacked by the black bears or whatever, or run over by the bison out on the, the plains, it was, it was, you know, somebody having to walk to get help. Yeah. But um, that, again, made it more real and exciting somehow. It did. Well, we were much younger then. I, uh, although I, maybe at some stage we should uh, try for another uh, uh, trip out there. I think so. So to go back to your wolves, um, so yes, we did. But that was, that was uh, uh, in Nova Scotia on the other side of Canada because we were trying to make a program about the whole of Canada. I think going back to the original idea, John our executive producer had told us to go make a show about Canada, which is a fairly big brief. Yes. Yeah. So that was at Dalhousie university, one of their uh, field research stations. I don't know. They've still got this project going, but they were studying wolves in a very large um, observatory area. They'd made this sort of, I don't know. About yeah, 10 it would be wrong to call it an enclosure, although it was enclosed, but I mean, it wasn't like a cage. We did walk in through a fence and a gate at one stage, and we walked quite a distance and then stopped. And I recall the the, the zoologist, um, I can't recall the name, saying to me, okay, just stop and stand still. Um, and I couldn't say anything, and I said, why, why have we stopped? And um, I think it was a she, and she said, well, because we're being observed, which is quite unnerving. When you think, I mean, I was a bit nervous going in anyway, because it was a pack of wild wolves. Um, and if they're sufficiently hungry, there's no reason why they wouldn't um, go after you as, as a bit of meat. Um, anyway, I remember being quite chilled at this, you're being observed. And I kind of whispered, I can't see anything where. And she said, well, look up ahead. See that tree directly ahead of you? Um, yes, go down to the trunk. And, and if you just look down to the left-hand side, your left-hand side, there is um, an adult male and it has just tilted its head to the right and you can see the tip of his ear and his eye and he is staring at you intently. And they got those blue eyes, haven't they? Incredible. Blue. I see blue eyes. Um, and then you could see, you know, if you get your eye in, at the, at the quite skillfully standing behind trees or sitting very, very still, just observing everything that was going on. I mean, I know we're talking earlier about them attacking the calves of buffalo, which are big enough. Um, but um, 
I've never really understood sort of man's fear of wolves. I guess if I lived at a different time, I might, and, and a pack of wolves w with a few people would be dangerous. But to me, what surprised me at that encounter was it was a really windy day, and they were all quite frightened. They were all underneath the trees, um, and they were trying to almost get out of the wind, you know, which is not your typical view of a fearless wolf. I think maybe that's what they were trying to say to us about the, you know, the, their behaviour and why they were being observed in there. I think did they also have cameras in a den? Yeah, they did. Were they they had able the, to. Yeah, they, they built a bunker, and they they underground um, warrens where they had um, the, the cubs. Yeah. Okay, John, and then after Nova Scotia. Uh, uh, or before, because you're such a great one for the chronology of these things. I do seem to remember us being on, um, is it the Maid of the Mist? Yeah, that the was, uh, that was, that, was that Victoria Falls? Uh, not no, Victoria, Victoria Falls <laughs> is in Africa. <laughs> Niagara Falls, I mean. Yeah. Niagara Falls, yes. Yeah, sorry, so wrong the country. Maid, <laughs> yes, the Maid, the Maid of the Mist is a, is a commercial venture where you can go out in a boat to as near to Niagara Falls as possible. Everybody wears these blue plastic capes because you get absolutely soaked. We were there though, not to uh, have uh, fun on a, on, a, on a sightseeing tour, but to talk to somebody about the, I think it was the seabirds that live in behind the waterfall. Yeah, that's right. I can, I, I, um, I hardly remember what that item was about now, but yes, it was about seabirds. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but that the thing, the, the, there's something stranger than that that I do remember is that before that? we'd gone there to interview this guy, we had had a meal about maybe 50 miles away in a really nice little um, restaurant that we stopped at on the way. And there was a, a waitress. She, and she was lovely and she very uh, helpful, really chatty. And uh, we we liked her, and and remark. I think I remember us remarking about her as as we left, and and um, you know, saying how great she'd been, and and um, so we we interviewed the scientist, and then we told him where we'd stopped. She said, "Oh yes, that was my daughter that you talked to." That was incredible, and that was in, in a place called Shubanakedi, isn't that it? It was near Shubanakedi, which is no, no, see Shubanakedi. <laughs> Shubanakedi, yes. Well, that Shubanakedi's on uh, is on back on Nova Scotia. I wasn't um, right. Okay, so it wasn't. But anyway, uh, Shubinakedi sticks in my mind because as you got lost, and I think we drove in and out of it about five times. Yes, we were, and also quite a long way, you know, in huge circles, and we kept on coming back to this place called Shubinakedi. <laughs> so yeah, well, again, yeah. demonstrating that the, in those days there was no sat nav and no way anybody could get hold of you. But in, all in all, uh, what are your overall impressions of, of the wildlife of Canada? I think it's an amazing place, Canada. And, I, and um, that area, Wood Buffalo National Park, is United Nations heritage site and deserves to be so because there are these places on Earth which are very precious and we were lucky enough to see one. And we've been lucky enough to see many, of course, but that's one that is very special. You took a photograph of me uh, walking in that porridge-like substrate across the salt plains uh, when we were there. And one of my daughters came across it recently. And of course, it's there. they're so clever nowadays with um, Photoshop. She's taken the photograph of me on the Great Salt Plains and has 
uh, put in the photograph or the picture a um, Tyrannosaurus rex. Uh, and it doesn't take too much of a leap. I must send it to you. It doesn't take too much of a leap of the imagination uh, to imagine uh, 65 million years ago in that exact location that it would be the perfect place for a T-Rex to hunt down, not a buffalo, but a wee human like me, except we didn't coexist. But uh, we could put it on the podcast picture and call it um, something like Dinosaurs in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And in fact, there's another one of the two of us sitting quite forlorn uh, at the teepee because we were wet and disheartened because we hadn't seen anything and that was just taken just prior to us having our wonderful adventure with the bison or as you insist on calling them the buffalo what's the difference between a buffalo and a bison i don't know you do know <laughs> you, you can't wash your hands in a buffalo <laughs> that's anyway right um, enough of the corny jokes yes I, can, right. I think we've done that one. I think maybe we just talk about, I don't know, uh, Jack, I think, as far as I can see, is still around. And, um, uh, you know, a very memorable journey. So J thanks, Jack, if you ever listened to this. And um, I think he's also heavily involved in his retirement in the um, conservation of that area. Um, so obviously he had a passion. Well, I... Uh... I would just like to say, Jacques, if you do get an opportunity to listen to this, thank you so much, because I think you can hear just by listening to John and I over 30 years ago, you received us into your home and into your hearts. And you, you give us a very, very memorable and in many ways life changing trip. So thank you so much.